Salam and welcome to another episode of Network Reorient. Today we have with us Khalida Ali who will be speaking on re-examining Hasnal Banna's model of Dawah after the Arab Spring. Uh, so Khalida, please introduce yourself and the work that you do. So I'm Khalida Ali, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto in the Department of Religion, um, and my specific fo focus is Islamic studies in that department. And the work I do is on the early Muslim Brotherhood, so the Hassan al-Banna period primarily, and the Hassan al-Banna model of Dawah. And what I take a Dawah to mean is their entire project, um, mm -hmm. from you know, uh, the training of members up to their political project. Um, but my dissertation is primarily focused on tarbiya, so training and education, and how tarbiya sits at the center of their entire model for change and reform in Egypt. Um, so I link tarbiya to um, not just the reform of cells, but the reform of others inside the organization and in their da'wah outreach programs, as well as tarbiya to become the kind of political subjects of the state that they envision, however loosely defined the state is in the program. Okay. Um, so you say uh, you focus on Hassel Banal's model of Dawah, which you take to be the full government from beginning to mm -hmm. their end as political subjects. Um, what was this model? How would you describe it? What were the various stages of it? So the model of Dawah, um, I can draw from his particular writings that talk about a model for change that is in seven, seven levels. So it's, it's called the seven levels of Dawah. And it starts from the self, and then moves to the family, the community, mm -hmm. the society, the government, and then the, and eventually to the Khalifa. So what I argue is that ethical self-cultivation is really um, the, the bulk of their project. Mm. How do you create Muslim subjects, and Muslim subjects according to their definition of is practicing, practicing Islam according to certain lines. Um, how do you create Muslim subjects to enact uh, a particular vision of Muslim society? So when you train those subjects in their programs, when they recruit people, um, those subjects who adopt you know, their prayers, adopt particular methods of, reading, um, methods of practicing Islam, reading Quran, praying on certain days, they go through a rigorous process of they will, in this model, eventually Islamize their families and then work in the communities to bring them within this particular understanding of Islam. Um, and then those communities turn into you know, larger areas in Egypt, and that tarbiyah eventually spreads to um, Islamize Egypt from below. Um, but this is also with um, the understanding that the Islamic State is the eventually, eventual goal and the Khalifa is the ultimate goal mm. is, even though it seems like um, an impossible goal and so that political um, that political framing is part of that tarbiya. so you're creating subjects who are not just you know becoming religious and becoming um, you know, practicing Islam in particular ways, but also who are taught that the Islamic State is part of their belief in itself. 
So it's part of it's necessary for you to believe in an Islamic state. It's necessary for us to have a regulator that you know, facilitates the conditions of piety in society. Um, so that's basically the model in a nutshell, and the way that they um, go about it is creating programs of um, rigorous training. So on the ground, um, they train people not just in Islamic studies, but there is a physical training element. Um, there is a strong spiritual training element where they spend time together, um, you know, praying and doing adhkar. There's a weird that they must do regularly. Um, they have to do specific acts of charity, you know. So it's, it, I'm drawing from the ethical self-cultivation paradigm in Islamic studies to uh, really look at that process, and that's the bulk of my dissertation. Okay. Um, I just want to ask, so your paper and I presume your um, PhD, uh, the title of it was Re-examining Hassan al-Banna's model of dawah after the Arab Spring. Now, I want to ask what's perhaps an obvious question, but why do we need to re-examine this model specifically after the Arab Spring? What's so special about the Arab Spring that necessitates a re-looking at this model? So um, this is not this is a particular chapter in the dissertation. Mm. Um, this is looking at the afterlife of this te these texts. But what happened with the Arab Spring is, is that there, you know, there was this one year of rule mm. for the Muslim Brotherhood. So it they really if you look at the seven levels of Dawa or seven um, stages of change. They had come to their fifth level, which was, you know, capturing the state. And once the coup happened, people began to question, you know, what what was this project? Was it really um, was it really viable in the first place? Or even if it was viable in the first place, according to Hassan Abana's model, did we apply it correctly? So there's a opening up of questioning because the crisis the level of crisis was so high. And it was so much higher than, you know, the 1970s or the um, earlier in the 1950s under Nasser. It was um, the unprecedented level of repression, and also um, a huge political failure for them internally. Um, internal dissension is um, at a you know an all-time high. That's I can put it in that way, like that. It's um, there, you know, the the brotherhood is fragmented in several significant ways, um, and not externally. You can't really see necessarily, but you can see manifestations of it in that, um, you know, there's certain control centers in Turkey, some in Egypt, etc. Mm. Um, and then there, you know, you, within Egypt, they can't really do anything um, without facing, um, you know, the arm of the state. So um, what I'm looking at is not necessarily that there needs to be a re-examination, but that there is a re-examination. That ah, people are okay. feeling that, you know, were, were we correct in trying to look to the state? So some members, like Amr al-Darraq, would say we should just focus on the da'wah and outreach aspect. Mm. And others, other scholars, um, not necessarily Muslim Brotherhood ones, but other scholars out from the outside have said they should have focused on developing a political platform and as a political party, rather than a dawa, um, mm. a dawa organization. 
And uh, so what I was looking at is like where what do people think of the Hassan al-Banna model, model because he, was, he is so central. He is mm. you know, part of the architecture, the ideological architecture of the organization. Um, so it, I want to ask, like, what do you think about that model that integrates Dawa and politics? Like, these yeah. are inseparable, intimately intertwined um, concepts in this mo- the seven levels of Dawa. Yeah. Um, vertical, horizontal spread is essential to building the state. You need to build that moral community that is loyal to an Islamic state or that is calling for an Islamic state. So I asked them, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? What, um, what and do you think that is a viable model? And what I found was that he still holds a place of reverence mm-hmm. among, you know, members and ex-members. That the ones that I interviewed and it, and I can't say that that's necessarily representative of the entire organization, but it seems to be representative, at least of the core of the organization, that um, people still see him as the Muslim Brotherhood thinker over Qutb, over others. Mm. And that, um, in my interviews, what I found is that people, rather than say Avana was wrong in creating the model, they say, we were wrong in the way we applied it. We mm. didn't apply it correctly, we, or um, we became too closed, we forgot that Dawa spread aspect we didn't create a political program um, to fulfill our political goals. So they don't necessarily place, um, place their dis- uh, disaffection, disaffection with um, Albana, but with the way that the organization itself developed after him. Okay. I think you've kind of answered this question already, but I want to ask, are there any voices within the Brotherhood when in relation to looking at Hassan al-Banna's model that, you know, self, family, society, then state, are there any acknowledgements when re- when doing this re-examination that actually the Brotherhood had not captured the state at all and that in fact the deep state was still very much alive and working against the Brotherhood? Is this, is this factored in these debates or how does this play a part in this re-examination of Oh, definitely. I think, um, so, one of the things that I noticed in every interview I did was that we began with the discussion of the deep state and the fact that the Muslim Brotherhood really did not get a chance to establish itself. Uh, You know, they basically struggled for power Hmm. through their whole time and and being in office for one year is nothing really. so, and I, I agree with that from all the analyses that I've seen, I've agreed that they, they were definitely not given any chance to rule Egypt um, in any significant way. Um, but uh, what I was thinking about was more, um, you know, that difference between, they, some people did feel that they had, they had succeeded in finally at least reaching a particular level, and you see that in some other discourses. But, um, how did they feel afterwards when they realized that um, that did they change the narrative or did you know when they realized that they weren't actually or that they when they were kicked out um, how did they understand that failure and um, and yeah definitely they they acknowledged that it was a difficult period uh, like they, they they struggled with the army they struggled with the deep state. Um, but they, there is what I really um, 
found like I, what I found among the members was that there was an acknowledgement of like we also were not prepared we did not have mm. the resources we did not have the plan um, there was a lot of self-reflection um, and so they don't necessarily just completely displace their failure up to the, the state the local mm. deep state okay um, I want to uh, ask you a question regarding some of uh, Hasnal Banna's own writings um, and some comments that have been made on it in various articles over the years. So uh, Hasnal Banna writes in um, some of his letters, if memory serves correctly, he distinguishes between um, Muslims of the Muslim Brotherhood mm-hmm. in whom Islam is awakened and those Muslims who are not part of the Brotherhood in whom Islam is dormant, quote-unquote. And so I want to ask you a question about um, how you see Hasan al-Banna's model of Dawah interacting with issues of sectarianism. I know this is a bit of a weird kind of entry into that point, but it is, I would argue, it is a form of sect, so that we're the awakened ones and you're the dormant mm-hmm. ones. But I want to expand that as well. So like, how does the model of Dawah deal with like um, minority Muslim groups? How do we give Dawah to them? So we're talking about this stage of society now, I would feel. Mm-hmm. How does that work? How Has there been any self-examination on that? Or Yeah, so that, that has been like a source of tension okay. for many years. Um, because, you know, how do we view the organization? Is the Jama'ah working with society? Is it part of society or is it working for society? So the Hassan al-Banna model, people say, people have said in my interviews that it were, it's supposed to work with society. But like you said, there is this distinction in um, Hassan al-Banna's own writings that um, between Muslim Brotherhood members who follow the true Islam and then other Muslims who have not been convinced yet. Mm-hmm. And I've asked actually members what they think of this and then you know they're different interpretations they say yeah that's a problem like we're not sure or um, people are cautious not to speak against Albana, um normally but then or they'll say um, yeah he he made this distinction but what he meant was people convinced by our project and our project is you know based on the Quran and Sunnah and they are just not convinced by it yet and they're the people who we give dawah to so they're not necessarily unequal they're just different mm. um, what in the Sayyid Qutb era this became even more pronounced like the different different um, difference between members and non-members because he thought of the organization as a um, vanguard of piety Rather than like of the organization giving dawah to you know people I mean sorry of the society giving dawah to society, they are the vanguard of piety who will eventually swallow the rest of society. Mm-hmm. So that became that itself became a part of the culture of the organization and actually um, uh, people have noticed that or it, among culture of the organization that it became um, the dominant way of thinking about it, that the jama'ah is um, working for society, working, so it is, um, I don't know if I could call it a sect in that regard, but it is, they did see it as something maybe separate and working towards, you know, uplifting the rest of uh, um, Egypt, 
In terms of minorities, that's an interesting question because I was recently looking at um, Hassan Abanda's ideas of race. Okay. And so um, he says, for example, one of the reasons why the Abbasids failed or the later the Islam Islam reached that level that it did was because it gave you know power to foreigners. So who were the fo- like or people who were non-Arabs took power. So the Turks, for example, in, in the Ottoman Empire, came to power, and then you know, um, and then we were dominated by colonialism. So he had there is an element of Arab supremacy in mm. in um, his work. Um, minorities again are, are treated like they are in. In, you know, in other Islamic contexts where they're treated like the people of the book, the Ahlul Kitab, are, you know, our brothers, are, you know, we're part of our society. Mm. They can work with us on things we agree with, but they cannot rule. They cannot be in positions of governance. So Abana is writing also in the early 20th century. Mm. Um, so I don't want to, like, impose our particular ideas of, like, minorities on onto him, but... It was a very, and I don't want to be apologetic as well because it is problematic in some mm. of his work. But it is a, it's an era where um, this kind of discourse is is uh, he's pulling from discourses where this is very common, like Muhammad Abdu and the other reformists. Um, but yeah, so there, I even like in, you know in Muhammad Abdu has a problem with Shia. So I haven't actually seen um, anything in Hassan al Banna's work about the Shia, but like. Or that I just haven't come across yet, mm. but but there is this. I mean, there is a Sunni Arab dominance, mm. and then the most. And on top of that, you have we are the ones to bring the Dawa um, to the rest of the world. Um, and but that being said, like I I don't I don't think that that's all always shared, and I think that people have interpreted that differently and took it differently. Like we, you know, we're. Um, they've I, it's in Albana, but they've either de-emphasized it or just ignored it completely in some respects, or they've emphasized it in other times. Okay, yeah. all right. Thank you very much, Khalida. This has been another episode of Network Reorient. Thank you for tuning in. Please have a listen to some of our other episodes and leave a rating.